this episode of Flippin' F1 has spoilers, has language that is probably not safe for work, and frankly, this is not one you want to play for your kids. But frankly, if you're entertained, we're happy as hell. So here we go. This is the episode around the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in Jeddah. And we know it's problematic that there's a race there. And we know that, frankly, there are issues that we can't handle in this podcast. And frankly, we know the politics of it all. But we're going to talk about our sport and we're going to bring all the love we can. And for those of you who are celebrating Hanukkah, those of you about to celebrate Christmas, those who are about to celebrate any of the next number of celebrations that happen at this time of year, we see you. We appreciate you. We appreciate you listening to us. And we thank you from the team at Flippin' F1. Thank you for being a part of our audience. Take care and enjoy. And with that, it's lights out. And another episode of uh, Flippin' F1 drops as the circus lands in Saudi Arabia, where we were treated to the first ever episode of Netflix Live to Survive. Holy crap. We saw restarts of restarts. Rules bent like a Yuri Geller spoon. At the end of it all, it's like we're back to race one. And it's all to play for between the championship rivals. I can't really tell, guys, if this race was maddening, marvelous, or miraculous. It was just the absolute worst and best of the sport in an entire weekend. So let's jump into it. I'm joined, as always, by my usual panel. Professor, how you doing? I'm still calming down from the weekend. Let's just say that. But other than that, it's good to be here, and I'm looking forward to debriefing a little bit with everybody. I'll tell you, I missed the race because I was at a CFL football game, and my voice was so hoarse that I couldn't yell at the TV and still managed to wake up my parents as I watched. It was crazy. Nice, nice. I had to watch it in the basement in seclusion and had to be careful not to wake anybody up. It was yeah. not easy. No, that was a solidly scream in the pillow moment. And of course, the view from yeah. the left side, Andrew Spencer's with us. What's happening, man? Hey, Randy. What an absolute shit show. I was really lucky to be home alone while that race was on because, my God, everyone would have heard me just absolutely screaming at the television. What a gong show. Can't wait to talk about it. It was brilliant. I left the football game. I get on the train. I looked at my phone. There's 187 texts from you guys. I was like, wow, okay, this is something. Plus a couple of calls from our technical man, Gareth, what's happening? Oh, much like Spence, I'm glad I was home alone in the basement. And I had great plans, you know, watch this race. It's going to be a fast race. Sitting there in my pajamas and, of course, end up sitting there in my pajamas for like two hours and 45 minutes until like three in the afternoon, screaming at the top of my lungs and just pounding my head. That's why you've got no hair on top. I understand now. No, that's male pattern baldness. Uh, Keeps <laughs> should sponsor us. Do you get out of your pajamas on Sundays, Gareth? Well, yes. I shower and I get into a cleaner set of pajamas. Well, sorry. I don't think you quite finished the outfit there. It's a cleaner pair of pajamas, some socks, and then probably some sandals on over top of that. And that is like the Gareth Sunday look, right? Only if I'm leaving the house. That's pretty much for the beer run. I he love is it. from Ontario. <laughs> love you all. All right, so let's get into it, man. Just, you know what? Somebody throw out something, because I don't want to talk about culture. I don't want to talk about tax packs. There is no history to this race. Before we get started, Randy, can I actually ask you, because we did Box Box Bingo. Yeah. 
Are you going to do box, box, bingo? Oh, we're going to do box, 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 okay. bingo. But do you want to go there first? Cause... Well, let's go there first. Box, box, box. Bingo! Yeah, let's lead in with box, 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 bingo. All right, well, let's talk about the sprint race then. <laughs> what sprint race? <laughs> Fuck. Man. For those of you listening at home, well, mum, Randy reused the template that contemplated a sprint race at Jetta, and we figured he was sprinting to the fridge, toilet, or couch, or potentially the TV at the wrong time. So minus a million points to Randy and plus a million for the rest of us. I'm on the board. Whatever. <laughs> All right, so let's talk quality, because, man, that was some qualification session. It looked like this was going to be a wickedly wild, seriously civilized race this weekend. So how did you do, Professor? I mean, I had predicted that it would be Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas, Gasly, and Leclerc. And I obviously didn't get that quite right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh wait, are any of us surprised by that one? Come on. <laughs> no, I thought they would be the drivers that would do well on the circuit. I obviously was a little bit wrong. We did have Hamilton, Verstappen in there. And Bottas was in there as well. I got three. Yeah, I think all of us got those three. You know, in some form or another. Spence, how'd it go for you? Yeah, I did okay. I seem like to be the only guy here who liked Sergio to be in the top five on the grid. I'm pretty sure he was. I think he actually started in fifth. He was. So I had Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez, Sainz, and Bottas. And so I got four of the top five. Carlos, my man, he had a, he had a bit of a tough weekend. Uh, he seemed like he went sideways just as much as he went straight. But, you know, four to five, that's not too bad. Poor, poor Ferrari, man. Just when they looked like they had it dialed in. Ugh. Couldn't stick to the track. Yeah. Well, could anybody? Gareth? Some people did. Some people didn't stick to the track, including the person who I thought was going to be on pole, Max Verstappen. I got that wrong. I got that wrong. I also figured that Gasly was looking good. Alonso was looking good. None of those guys qualified anywhere near the top five. And if we can just pause and talk about Verstappen's pole lap that didn't get him pulled because he crashed into the last I wall at the last I've never respected a race driver more. I literally have never seen somebody use every millimeter of the track, bar none. Senna, 88, Monaco. I was watching it, and you can find these on yeah. boards of Senna's pole lap in yeah. Monaco in 1988. Exactly the same thing, except I don't think Max Verstappen's going to be, well, the hand of God was guiding me. Yeah. Let's say I was pushing a lot. And yes, you can respect him for that and maybe not respect him for certain things he did in the race. <laughs> Let's get to that later. But honestly, that lap was, yeah, yeah, that lap that wasn't was truly inspiring. It's a how close he was to the wall a couple of times before the rear end just decided to give up. I was honestly convinced he whacked it on the first turn. He almost binned it on the third quarter. He was awfully close. Yeah. But like the thing that really, <laughs> it's got to tell you how good it was. Lewis gets back to the pits. He's on the radio to Bono and they tell him, well, you know what? Max put it in the wall. You are qualifying first in the grid. And he's very happy. And Bono kind of says, wait a second. Max was on an absolute flyer was to say, like, you know what, buddy, like, had he not tagged the wall in the last turn, there's absolutely no way you're starting in first spot. So, I mean, I think everyone really recognized it was, like, something to behold. Yeah. If you watch the onboard, you can see, I think it's Max's delta to his best lap time. Three tenths up. Yeah. yeah. He was three or four uh, tenths up. And with that car kind of relative to the Mercedes-Benz, and had he not just pushed that tiny bit of extra, 
we would have had potentially a very different race. That would have been a soul-crushing poll had Max finished it. And it was really just like, I don't know, a single fan, doesn't matter who you cheer for, I think everybody that I read on Twitter in that session was like, oh my God, Max, that was just a moment. That was just a moment. And then, of course, Spence, you made fun of me for having Norris in the top five. Well, I find your lack of faith disturbing, my friend. I think we all made fun of that, but he wasn't in the top five, but he was close. Yeah, I should take credit for that. I I absolutely (laughs) did. It escapes me. There were so many texts, and I didn't have time to go back and review because you said there was 180 when you get out of the football game. I'm sure there was closer to three or 400, like all told. But like you just didn't seem to have it this weekend. You know, like those guys just didn't. I mean, Ricardo got really lucky with that safety car red flag situation with Schumacher went in the wall. But I don't think his raw pace is anywhere near top five. Same thing with Lando right now. Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think everybody else has turned it up a fair bit. I think the Alpines have got this nailed. But yeah, no, it's all right. Well, and that's why Ferrari's clinched third in the constructors effectively. Yeah, uh, that was quality. I mean, that was a fun quality to watch. It started out a little bit boring, and then it really just kind of geared up. I really quite enjoyed that. That was good stuff. And then we get to a race top five. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I had this as a Hemverbot's podium. I wanted Leclerc to do well. I wanted Norris to do well. And that was not in the cards this weekend. Yeah. Ocon? Ocon? <laughs> Bueller? No, nope. nobody predicted Esteban Ocon in fourth place. And he was so close to third, man. That pass, I mean, literally <sighs> the last meter before the line type scenario. It was a photo finish on that side for sure. Sorry, that's what happened there? I, I don't remember seeing any of it on TV, so oh. I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yes, yeah. it was quite literally the last corner, the last straightaway just before the start-finish line. That's where he lost it. And that was why it was so painful for Ocon. On no, that for one. sure. No, there was beautiful Formula One racing that happened here, Andrew. But what they chose to focus on was people bitching yeah. on the radio well, instead. Yeah, it was like Max coasting in to take his second place. Don't care. Like You can see, like looking at the timing chart on the side of the screen, that Valbot and Ocon were really going at it. They were switching places, and we were seeing absolutely none of it. Yeah. It's got to be the worst <laughs> TV directing since Monaco, I think. Yes. Cue Lance Stroll break-in. Yeah, I know. Again, same thing. I yell at the TV, like, show me Akon Bonus. What the hell? Like, they're going to battle out to his last three corners and you're going to show me a dejected Max already coming across the line? Like, really? No, no. We don't need to see him nurse his medium tires across the line. And for any of us who predicted that Perez and Leclerc would be in the top five, well, that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I had Perez and Signs, so like my top five race card is pretty bad. I had the Verham bot, but not the other two guys are way off. I think we all had the top three in some form. I certainly didn't have them in the top three necessarily, because I had Gasly and Norris in the mix there, and, and they didn't have a good race either. Yeah, what a wild run. I can't believe that that's how it ended in the end. Which takes us to the actual madness that happened, because none of us, none of us could have predicted... The flag distribution and safety cars of this weekend, I don't think. No, no, that's why I left my box blank, apparently, yeah. <laughs> just so I'd win. You of know course, what? you're I, trying to take the points. I think we need to take all your points away for that one. I agree with Phil. But, I mean, this is a box we always have on the board. This is a box that for the last four or five races, I've been overcalling the number of safety cars, overcalling the number of yellow and red flags, and I'm never anywhere close to it. So this weekend, I guess I just gave up, and I said, 
Yeah, there's going to be one yellow. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, that was wrong. <laughs> you went totally the wrong way. I, I was like, I think there was one yellow before the session started. <laughs> like, before FB1 started, there was one yellow on that thing, man. That track was wild. I mean, it's shaped like one of those bobby pins. It's basically... That's a good way of saying it, yeah. It's a closed-off bobby pin, and it was like, oh, man, something's going to happen here. As soon as we started watching FP1, it was like, uh-oh. A friend of mine who I work with who watches the race while we're at work is like, yeah, I don't actually think my heart can take this. I got to turn this off. It's giving me anxiety attack. Well, that's what you get for watching Formula 1 at work. Well, I'm her boss. She knows she can get away with that. So. Yeah. Our flipping F1 red flag leaderboard got a lot of action this weekend. And that's what I will say. Yeah, tell us more, man. I have, for reasons unknown to anybody, including myself, decided to keep a spreadsheet of the red flag distribution in this season across all official sessions. And some tracks, like the street circuit, better for red flags than others. Our leader, actually, for the season, and by my count, we have 42 red flags, although I don't know if they threw a red flag at the end of qualifying when uh, Verstappen hit the wall. I think they did. Our leader is actually a young man named Charles Leclerc, who's got five red flags, including two red flags, one of which he definitely caused and the other I'm attributing to him in Saudi. He hit the turn 22 wall in FP2, which was very telling for the race because they had to red flag it and fix the barriers. And we can talk about the race when that happened. And then he tagged Sergio Perez and caused the massive pileup, the uh, Perez, Russell, and I think Mazepin pileup during the race on like lap 17. So two red flags from Charles Leclerc. Mick Schumacher went into the wall, I want to say lap 14 during the race, turn 22, caused a red flag. And then Verstappen also ended up getting the red flagged as well when he went into the wall at turn 27, because I think we have 27, 27 yeah. uh, turns in this place. I can't give you the breakdown of red flags vis-a-vis the different races right now, but what I will say is from my quick review, red flags tend to cluster around races like Baku, Monaco, or Monaco, Monaco yeah. and Saudi. So if we put walls where there would otherwise be runoff areas, we get red flags. And running through my head, for those of you who are avid Mario Kart fans, I feel like we just need like a rainbow road type thing where you just fall off the cliff and then some little FIA cloud picks you up, puts you back on the track and you carry on from the back of the field. (laughs) Depends which team you are, because I mean, you you could carry on from the front of the field. I was just about to say, cue Phil's tinfoil hat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not there yet. Just give me a little bit more time to get into the tinfoil hat moment. More of a warm-up? I I appreciate that. I need a bit more of a warm-up on that. But, you know, I predicted that we would see one red flag, two yellows, and a virtual safety car. I didn't predict we'd see the safety car at all, because my tinfoil hat's coming on now, because it's an Aston Martin race. uh, And therefore, we haven't really seen an Aston Martin safety car all season. Well, it was the best performing Aston Martin of the weekend. Quite well, frankly. there was that. It probably was the fastest one, too. So I was predicting no safety car. I was totally wrong. We saw the safety car way more than we wanted to see. For the record, we love you, Lawrence. Please sponsor us. <laughs> it's all done in jest, my friend. It's all yeah. done in jest. <laughs> one of you guys, I don't remember who, said that Aston Martin could have put in the DBX this weekend and they would have been, they would have been better <laughs> off. Racing that medical yeah. car, and then yeah, yeah, that was Gareth. I, I think at the end of qualifying, it was like, yeah, they could have just entered the DBX <laughs> instead of the F1 car. Still would have beat the Hasses. 
I saw the greatest meme or posting. Actually, it was, I think, on Gunter Steiner's Twitter that was, the containers for the F1 teams have arrived in Abu Dhabi. All we've got left is a fucking box. <laughs> is this fake Gunter Steiner or the... Uh... I'm pretty sure it's a fake Gunter Steiner. I wish it was a real one because, man, I think he's got a wicked sense of humor. But uh... I really miss Gunter Steiner on the radio, man. That was always, like, the highlight of last season for me. It was Gunter on the radio or Gunter on the pit wall doing the thing with Martin. Those were always good sessions. So long story short, we all got the safety car flag distribution wrong. Can we just pause and just talk about a couple of flag issues here? First of all, the never-ending VSCs to clean up debris. I hated that. Yeah, like again, why don't you just call the red flag, clean up the track, and then start properly again? Can't restart that many times. You can't do that, though. You can't? How many restarts did we have during this thing? No, I know. One more was going to kill it? Part of the reason why we had that many virtual safety cars was because the cars were relatively close in proximity because of the red flags that we'd had, right? So in the end, the field was condensed. What you're saying, Phil, is the field hadn't spread out over time? So if the field spread out and you need to clean the track, you need to put out a real safety car to slow everybody down to congregate the field to give marshals time to go out and pick up the debris. But because they were so compact already... They had enough time just on the virtual safety card to do that. Um, it was painful, but I get why they were doing that. Can't believe I'm actually defending the FIA right now of Formula mm-hmm. One stewards. God help me. It's FIA race director. I mean, that stuff happens in IndyCar, especially on the ovals. They'll throw a yellow, get everybody behind the safety car, and send the jet trucks around just to clean up debris and marbles and stuff to keep people out of the wall. So it happens. It sucks. But it's also a function of this track where everything's a wall. And it's super high speed. Yeah, no, and that's fair. I mean, let's talk about the one that everybody wants to talk about and everybody has been talking about, which was safety car to red flag, all of a sudden offering up all kinds of chaos in terms of tire strategy. I'm sorry, stop whining and complaining about it. It's part of the sport. It's been a rule for like a decade or more. And what are you going to do? I mean, you know what? You have to give them a chance because they do end up driving through debris. So you have to give them a chance to change their tires. You can't hold them out to not changing the tires. A car will go out after going through some debris, no. blow a tire, and hit a wall. Right? And then you've got, and more, and you got more issues. So you might as well let the teams change the tires. It doesn't have a big impact. It's a luck of the draw. Yes, it's a luck of the draw. But it's the whole point. It I is. Mean, you know what? The draw. Truthfully, I have no problem with the rule. I have a problem with why the hell didn't yeah. they just red flag the thing in the first place? They knew it hit that wall from the previous sessions that that wall was going to need to be fixed so just yeah. call the red flag already i don't understand doing the safety car and then deciding oh my god the same thing just happened and so we gotta fix the wall that we already know that's got to be fixed because that's how it's going to be done and that's what bothered me one word netflix yeah of course <laughs> of course yeah I mean, I agree with you, Randy. Like, they knew the wall was going to be an issue. Leclerc hit, I think, a bit hit a few times. And there's five different layers of tech pro wonderfully absorbent barrier there. Does somebody from the FIA have to, like, wander out and put eyes on it before they throw the red flag or get some sort of indication? I don't know. But Red Bull gambled, and they gambled well. And I think Martin Brundle said, yeah, okay, here's the flip side of Monza where Hamilton got this and got back on the lead lap. There you go. Nobody needs to whine about it, especially Lewis Hamilton, who is alleging conspiracy theories. I have no problem with it, really. I, I know Lando was pretty pissed, but I'm like, oh, well, away you go, right? And I feel bad for the guy. He just whined because he was on the wrong side of the decision this time, you know? 
that was really yeah. we'll get into that about the whining and whinging and everything else in a little bit but yeah i mean <laughs> that was something yeah but it livened up the race because of the four of us only two of us were watching it live Phil was off being a family man. I think Randy was you know, CFL, whatever that is. I think it's like a you know European regional soccer of some sort sponsored by a church or a local <laughs> factory. It's the Christian Football League. We can definitely talk about whether missing one of the more entertaining F1 races of the year to watch the Canadian Football League is a good call at some point later on in this broadcast. <laughs> whatever. We definitely can. But Spence and I were right around the Schumacher incident red flag texting back and forth. Well, the boring middle bit has shown up lap three here. Yeah, we did. It looked like it was going to be Monaco, right? At higher it speed, did. like the first kind of 10 or so laps, there was not a lot that happened. And I was kind of settling in saying, well, I don't really even see kind of where there's going to be a potential for a good strategy battle here between Red Bull and Mercedes. Like I thought it was going to be quite boring. And then the worm turned on that mm-hmm. one for sure. Yeah, it was going to be like a boring one-stop Mercedes speeds off into yep. the sunset race, yeah. so to speak. All right, let's get into box five, fastest pit, since we're talking about pit stops and pit strategy and all that stuff anyways. I actually could not tell you this week who had the fastest pit. I lost paying attention. Red Bull Racing. I almost put up something that said, was there a pit stop? Like, (laughs) I was going to say, it's got to be someone who didn't stop. I mean, like, you know, Verstappen never had a stop. No, uh, Red Bull did a 2.2 second stop. So Phil and I get a million points for that. For Googling? You get a million points for Googling? What the hell? I don't think so. I wrote it down before the race even started, man. Hey, man. Michael, I've sent you an email. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We're never going to be allowed to attract if we oh, keep this Oh, boy. Up. I know. <laughs> Randy, <laughs> we might as well skip over boxes six and seven. We're not even close on any of these things. Yeah. Well, Unpredictable still... thing that will happen? No, none of us yeah. pre- predict any of it. <laughs> well, so actually, that was my intention was to say, let's get eight done because six and seven... That's where we let loose on the rant on the race, because the whole damn thing was unpredictable. I get half of seven, though, because I got Ocon scoring points, and Alonzo, well, he was outside the points. But <laughs> I'm trying here, guys. Maybe. No. Whatever. By that logic, I get a half a point for having a Haas in the top 15, just because of attrition. <laughs> so. No, they were both double DNF. <laughs> they all hit a barrier on this race, so no, you don't win anything on that one. No, not classified Mazepin in 17th ah, and Schumacher in 20th. Too bad. <laughs> Is this the only time Mazepin's actually beat his teammate? No. I think he beat him one other time that Schumacher crashed out. And that one time they orchestrated right. it so Mazepin wouldn't feel bad or something. Yeah, that was at, the, at yeah. Monaco. Monaco? Monaco? Yeah. I think so. You done? <laughs> Are we ever going to be done with that? Go shine the forehead a little bit more, Spence. <laughs> Come on, it's part of this cast now. That yeah. race is, is the Monaco Grand Prix. God yeah. help my speaking abilities. Sponsored it's by Paul Ricard. Pernod Ricard. And I think, Spence, you predicted 17 finishers, and you were off by two. Like we, we only had 15 people finish this race, so we lost a quarter of the field. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I don't know how many races this year we've lost five cars. Probably Hungary. Anywhere else. Uh, maybe the Italian one where they smashed into each other. Emilio Romagna, yeah, probably. Yeah, there's a bunch out mm. there. All right. Wow. So, overall thoughts on the race, fellas? Now that the boxes are done? What a crap show. Right? I mean, just the shenanigans that went on. I mean, so we talk about the incident, really. Let's talk about the incident. I mean... That's the elephant in the room. Let's get there. Okay. Cool. So, corner 27 going in. What are we? Lap 30-something? And Max is instructed 
to slow down by his team. 34. Right? Yeah. And he does it instantly. Mercedes, on the other hand, is taking their time to tell their driver that Verstappen's going to be slowing down. Sorry, Phil, why is Max instructed to slow down? Because on one of the multiple times going past corner one, he passed Hamilton on the wrong side of the track in turn one. Off the track, yeah. Off the track, track. part of the track, if you will. Yeah, that's that's, that's a pretty interesting spin there, Phil. Wrong side of the track. I'm trying, I'm trying, guys, I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, pass him off the track. Because in a benevolent move, decides to allow Hamilton to stay on the track and passes him by giving him a wide berth. Exactly, (laughs) he was giving him a wide berth, all right, and he was faster, so he went around the outside. (laughs) Nice try, Phil. All right, so yeah, Rebel gets told to give the place back. Red Bull tells and Max. Red Bull does it, and and Max does it instantly. He doesn't wait. He does it instantly. Now, yes, he's at that point in the track. We know what he's trying to do because he did it a couple of laps later, where he's trying to maximize where Hamilton passes and how close he can be behind Hamilton and everything like that. Hamilton, honestly, we have to ask the question: If you're a racing driver and you're catching a slower car, don't you pass it? Is that not racing? Pass the slow car? No, because Lewis Hamilton. Oh, you're waiting for the invitation. He didn't want to lose DRS. He did not get the radio call from his team to say, this is happening. And you look around situational awareness. It's like, okay, it's not like Max is on fire. He's got a blown tire. DRS line, I assume that Hamilton was thinking, oh, he'll probably give that place back. He doesn't want to get mugged later on in that straight because of DRS line shenanigan place givebacks, as happened in later laps. That's the point. That's racing. That's the time you go by. You deal with it. There's no rule that says you have to pass a slower car. Okay, true. But then, if that's the case, stay behind the slower fucking car. Don't hit it. Well, he did. Yes, until yes, I'm yes. From I the know. Decision. This is document 45. However, the sudden breaking by the driver of car 33, Max Verstappen, was determined by the stewards to be erratic and hence the predominant cause of the collision, hence the standard penalty of 10 seconds for this type of incident. And they pulled some data off the car. The key point for the stewards was the driver of car 33, Max Verstappen, then brake suddenly, 69 bar, and significantly resulting 2.4 Gs of deceleration, which is apparently a lot. Like, Max jumped on the brakes, and that's why Lewis Hamilton yeah, but Hamilton hit. should have passed him. If Hamilton like, had passed two him first, being it, wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been a problem. Either way, yes, Max shouldn't have applied the brakes as hard the second time. Granted, I'll give everybody that one. But, you know. I'm sorry, but you've barely moved over. You're not all the way over to the side. And so I'm with you on this. Like, a car slowing down, you're a race car driver. You see a car slowing down, you pass the damn car. You're not in the car. You don't know what's happening. I mean, you might as well. You let the stewards call it if they see a foul on the DRS pass. Like, I get that. Like, I, I totally am there with you. But at the same time, like, we can't say that, I mean, yeah, they did it immediately, but he wasn't all the way over like he should have been when given the place back. Like, he had a lot of space on that track, and he still had his elbows out. He was in the middle. As there is no rule in terms of how you can pass a car, there's also no rule in how you have to give the space up. Actually, there's a lot of rules about passing cars. Thank you, Gareth. This is my saying. Like, both of these guys are at fault. This is the worst of F1 right here. This is not... Yeah, absolutely. They both were fucking idiots. But, like, sorry, you guys don't actually think this was intentional by Max, do you? Like, I'm willing to say... I think this is intentional by Max. No, no, no. I don't think so at all. This is not a Michael Schumacher move on Villeneuve or Hill or Prost and and Senna. This is not that type of an incident. If that was going to happen, it would have happened in the turn one, okay? Like, I'm willing to say this is predominantly Max's fault. He was driving erratically, in my view. 
but I don't think that it was intentional. I don't think it was right? intentional in the way that you guys are describing. I think it was intentional as in Max is throwing a fit because he got told to give the damn place back in the first place, and Max being Max. I disagree with that characterization that he is throwing a fit. I don't think that's a fair characterization of what was going on there. Yeah, he threw a fit at the podium ceremony. Okay, I'm sorry. After what was essentially giving up pole or first place on the race, what, three times? And then being pushed out, pushed off the track on corner 27, many laps later by Hamilton. And Hamilton gets away with that. Whereas with the same incident a couple of races earlier at Brazil, Verstappen gets penalized for. Bullshit. Verstappen didn't get penalized for that at Brazil, did he? I think that's been the whole thing, is that Brazil created a context. And so, yeah, you're right. He didn't throw a fit. He threw a pouting tantrum and decided, you want me to slow down? I'll slow down. Fine, I'll do it right here. I really don't think it was even premeditated like that. I think he saw the DRS line coming up quickly, and he said, I need to slow down more. And is it erratic? Yes. Is he at fault? Yeah, I'm going to say yes. He jumped on the brakes, and then he drove away like it was complete chaos, yeah. shit show, maybe not befitting yeah. professional drivers. Sure, and that's frankly. fine. And if you want to have that discussion about his driving standards, happy to have that. I still think if he was looking to cause a collision, a much better place to do it, where he could have guaranteed that Hamilton's out of the race, would have been into turn one. And they had ample opportunity to have that happen there, and it didn't. That's what I'm saying. I don't think he was thinking about Lewis. I don't think he was trying to cause a collision. I just thought he started pouting and said, well, you want me to slow down? Fine, I'll slow down. That's what I'm saying. I agree with you, Randy, because we've had a lot of talk. Of Max has matured in the last couple seasons. He's very cool, calm and collected. And he's you know on the record saying, yeah, I'm here to race. Doesn't matter much if I win or not. We just want to do our best. No, the visor slipped. He's given it all to try to win. And he got really frustrated and he fucked up. You know, Spence, I think that was his driving standards. And it was bad on both of them. Right? Like a pox on both their houses that moment. Like, what the hell? It really was ugly. And for that alone, Ocon should have won that race. But it is what it is. Or Valbot got thrown another bone. But let's jump forward and chat about what Phil brought up. And Phil, this was a few laps later where Max Mm -hmm. gives the place back again. Yeah. If I'm correct, on the same straight. And then down to, what was it? It was turn one. He's on the outside and Lewis just runs him. Right out of room. There was some FIA radio there too, right? They, they yes. were threatening to show him the black and white flag, I thought. I think they did show him a black and white flag, but black and white flag, quite frankly, doesn't mean dick. It really doesn't in the context of where you finish in the race. Black and white driving standards flag just means, well, you better not do that again. But if that's the thing that keeps you ahead, gains you the track position, then you probably don't need to do it again. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's poor sports personship. By Max on the brake test, by Lewis on pushing wide, and then also by Max on that restart where he just kind of barged through. Sorry, pardon me. The first of the two restarts that we had where he barged through and went off and turn one, gained an advantage, ended up in first place. I agree with Lewis. Max's driving is over the line and it's not good. And people have just jumped on bandwagons to say, He's a racer, let them race. Well, this is what happens when you let him race. They're stupid. I don't think you can make Max out to be the villain all the time in this scenario, right? He is not the villain all the time in this scenario. He is being portrayed as this a little bit here. In that situation, and we've had this many races before, the steward's inconsistency is part of the problem here, right? The steward's inconsistency on what to do on the first lap, on specifically the first corner, 
Yeah, and Alonso has exploited this numerous times as well himself, right? He 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 did it effectively to show the stewards how dumb they were being. Yes. So Max doing that, yeah, he's exploiting what has traditionally been consistently ignored by the stewards. All of a sudden, though, the stewards are deciding to get involved, and that's inconsistency. In fairness, the restart wasn't lap one, turn one of lap one. Now, ought to it have been treated like yes. you know turn one of lap one or the yeah. restart of a race? I would agree with you, and I agree that the exploitation is dumb, but that the drivers are doing it because the stewards aren't calling it. And now the stewards have been inconsistent and called it. On our little mural that we post all our earth-shaking ideas, we do have something called penalty props and steward sewer. And we've mooted changing that to something even stronger than a steward sewer, quite frankly. Yeah, steward sewer is not strong enough for what it is right now. (laughs) Yep, can't disagree with that. And frankly, that led me to mind. I was like, you know what? What the fuck is a rule in F1 these days? Like, I really don't get it. It's just incredibly fungible, quite frankly. And it, it takes away from the racing and the show, and it makes it a little bit... Every step gets us closer to that Liberty Media WWF. That's oh, the Netflix Drive to Survive success stories, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, to me, it's starting to ruin the sport from that perspective. Do we sound like cranky yeah, we, old geezers here? Yes. We're cranky and we're old, so why not? Yeah. You know, you want to see good racing. You don't want to see things decided after the fact in the stewards' room because everybody has not only pushed the limit, but gone way over the limit. And we'll tie that in with we don't really want to hear people. They're whining like they're junior litigators on a shitty file that means absolutely nothing. To use a legal term, like they're trying for every dumb little advantage. And you like Spencer, we run into people like this in our profession. It's called sharp practice. It's like, He's not 10 car lengths behind me. He's going too slow. He is holding me up on the safety car in lap. And you see all that, like, to be charitable, we'd call it gamesmanship and taking the advantage, but it's really just petty as fuck and it needs to stop. And the drivers and the team bosses and principals and the folks talking to the FIA need to shut the fuck up and just race. I mean, I I think a lot of this is going to happen one way or another, but this is where I go to, we've been criticizing the race director or whoever is making the TV decisions. I was like, did you really need to fucking play that? Like, I know I get it. Are you talking about the FIA radio or the radio on TV? I really don't need to hear Lewis complain about, Oh, we just did a restart mate. Like, shut up first. Don't play that. Cause I don't need to hear it. And second, shut up Lewis. But frankly, whatever you got to do to talk, right, it's chatter. And a lot of that stuff is F1's version of chatter. It's F1's version of chatter, but it gives you a sense behind the scenes of what has been going on notoriously for a number of years now, where the drivers are, in a sense, by doing that, communicating with the stewards and making them aware of issues. And Hamilton, to be precise, is notorious for doing that. He has been since he started in Formula One, right? I would say Hamilton maybe gets spotlighted a lot for doing it. Alonso does it all the time. And I would also bet, and I haven't you know, gone back and watched 20 different onboards of the restart. For somebody like me, a nerd like me, I would love like the technical information, like you know, move your switches to this, think about this, this is what's happening to the driver to set them up for the race restart. Yeah, agreed. You're right. Like That's exactly what I want to be hearing. What's the engineer saying to the racer? Every once in a while, I don't mind hearing what the racer says back to the engineer. Like That argument back, I can't remember what race it was. I think it was Baku, right? Where like the rain's coming and the engineer's saying to Lando, all right, you know what? You got to come and get tires. And Lando is like, no. So it was, 
No, Sochi, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. That's when I want to hear the driver talking, but then otherwise... Well, no, and you want to hear the driver saying, like, my tires are doing this, or this is what's happening on the track. This is what the car is doing. I mean, that's the bottom line. We don't want whinging and whining on these radio moments. But they're doing it because it's dramatic. It gets effect. Don't say it again, Phil, because Netflix is going to charge the four of us more for our accounts after this. (laughs) (laughs) I'll cancel it. Guys, is this an entertainment product or what? It is. It is. It is. So, like, what's wrong with having that? Like, at least it, it provides a little bit of color, lets you know how these guys are thinking. You know, like, when I think of the F1 product that gets on TV and I compare it to other sports that I watch, one of the things that makes this really neat and different and engaging is the fact that you get to know exactly what the guys who are on the track are thinking, right? And what they're saying and what's going through their mind. Like, that kind of real-time-ish feedback, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's compelling. I, I think that's good, Spencer. And I, I think you're right. That Having that insight is good. The only problem is they start to come out really negatively. The drivers come across super whiny rather than gamesmanship within the sport. Guys, I got breaking news for you. Some of these guys who are making 10, 15, 20, 30 million dollars a year to drive cars, they're fucking prima donnas. So, oh, yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is kind too. of what we've got, right? I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any avoiding that. Spence, whoa, whoa, Spence, Spence, like, wait, wait, seriously, you're going to break all of our bubbles? Like, what are you going to tell us next? Like, fucking hell, man. <laughs> Jeez. To be seasonal, if you tell me Santa Claus isn't real, I'm going to fly to Vancouver and kick your ass. <laughs> Switching gears, but staying with radio. We're also treated to some theme to FIA radio. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> for God's FIA sake. FIA race director, Michael Massey. And just to kind of remind everybody, you have an FIA team that runs the race. And they're not the stewards. The stewards are a bunch of other people hired or appointed by the FIA who make these decisions. The race director has the power to refer things to the stewards and the stewards can just independently note. We have noted this. We are investigating this. But the race director, you know, does the yellow flags, the red flags, the procedures, all that sort of stuff. And we heard on our second restart, because we had two restarts of this race, one start, two restarts, great race. Michael Massey effectively negotiated. It it was alternative dispute resolution. It reminds me of mediations I've done where the mediator is saying to everybody, like, listen, this is what I think you can get. Would you take this? And that's what happens. Because we would have heard probably had the race continued, potentially FIA radio saying, Red Bull, we recommend you give back that place to Hamilton and thus drop behind Ocon. But we had a restart. So we got the ability to kind of rejig the grid. And we got to hear, you know, we got to hear how the sausage was made. And for me, I'm fine with that because it got the grid to where it ought to have been, given that Verstappen left the track and got an advantage. But it was interesting to hear what a bunch of whiny pricks the people on the teams are as well. I don't know, man. Being a sort of a legacy fan of this sport only fills watch this sport longer, I think. To me, it's Christmas morning, right? The fun is in the unwrapping. Like, the decision comes out, and then, yeah, afterwards, you kind of hear oh yeah, well, here's the things that happen in the background. To me, it was like Real Housewives of F1 type stuff. And I say that because that's what the show is like. I watched an episode to make sure. But only one episode, Randy. It's it's just for research. It's only for research purposes. <laughs> I watched it for the articles. Leave me alone. No, it was very much like, okay, let's set up the scandal. Let's do this stuff. Let's be a whole cat. I'm like, I don't need that. I liked for a moment the FIA radio, but just am not enjoying it at all. 
Honestly, it was a great insight because what that does is, okay, say the team's, you know, Red Bull's like, no, we're not agreeing to that. Massey then refers that up to the stewards and the stewards are throwing penalties down. No, let's have everybody agree. And it's literally, it's like a mediation where everybody's like, yeah, if we were in front of a judge, we get hammered with this. We get screwed because our position is kind of bad. So let's take the best outcome from this negotiation that's realistic and relative to what actually happened and move on with our lives and continue the race. Like we got to see it and I thought it was great and I thought it was accurate and got to the right result. For our seven listeners, you're listening to analysis from Court TV. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I get this from the lawyerly perspective, but frankly, just as a know-nothing fan, sometimes ignorance is bliss, man. And FIA radio is just giving me a little bit too much sausage. So here's the thing. I mean, I've known this has been happening for years. I mean, this is how they do things, right? Is that because your tinfoil hat picks up FIA radio from time to time? Yeah, that's it. No, it's because I've been following Formula One for more years than I'd like to count. But I did find just how the teams responded to that to be a little bit more whiny and disconcerting. And I found it's funny because I can't imagine Charlie Whiting have been sitting there and saying, so we'd like to offer you this in in such a wishy-washy way. I mean, Charlie was a... You know, whenever you hear him talk... He... Was, Char- was Charlie from Yorkshire? Was Charlie a Yorkshireman? Remember, but I think so. But he was very straight to the point. Like, he cut it just, this is what it is, guys. Yeah. And there was no BS. There was no watching around it. This is it. This is the lay of the land. And I feel that if Massey had taken the same approach, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We would have actually probably enjoyed it. I agree with you, Phil, because Massey doesn't seem to be a good mediator arbitrator. He would have said, this is what has to happen because this is how I see it. If you don't agree, yeah. I'm going to refer it to the stewards and let them That I would have appreciated. But that's what Charlie would have said. I mean, somebody, I don't know if it was on our chat or something I was following or something I was reading, but you know what? Formula One is missing Charlie Whiting right now. That's what we're seeing. Correct. And I agree with that analysis. I think it was actually Joylyn Palmer on the BBC Five Checkered Flag podcast that said it. Yeah. And frankly, yeah. I agree with that. And as I heard it, I actually had the big hearted moment of like, well, yeah, that's great. And Massey's learning his craft. And I'm sure Charlie early on in his tenure probably had these moments. He just didn't have them broadcast, which again, got me back to like, do we need to broadcast this stuff? No, because when Charlie was doing that the first time, the teams were sending those via carrier pigeon. Wow. <laughs> Formula One's not that old, Gareth. And Phil had been already been watching for a decade. And he'd been begging for the salt that morning and finally got it. And I was reporting everything by stone and chisel, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, Read it here first. This is pretty much it. Well, let's put Phil in a pair of too tight blue cargo pants and a white polo shirt and send him in there. I would think you could do a better job. Ooh, thank you for that vote of confidence. I'm not sure I want the job, but thanks. I'm not sure I want to see Phil in too tight cargo pants. <laughs> oh, come on, Randy. Oh, we've all been there before. But we do have a fashion segment in our little mural. And why does the FIA dress everybody who works for them like complete nerds? Because everyone who works for them is complete nerd. No, I'm kidding. I'm sure they're not. But But like get beat up on the playground, complete nerd. Like dorky, too tight cargo pants and this dumb billowy shirt. (laughs) I don't want to be a pirate. Speaking of the celebrity (laughs) fashion sighting, the only thing we had in there, because I mean, really, there was too much time focusing on the accidents and everything like that was... Poor Danny Rick in 40 plus degrees Celsius temperatures, having to walk the 300 feet from his McLaren to the paddock in a hoodie. He's Australian. 
He was comfortable. Well, I, I really think even he can't afford a McLaren t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored by the F1 store. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Yeah, I will say there was a nice moment. I, I saw it in sort of the afterplays, and we can talk about the podium tantrums later, but I really did like that Seb decided, you know what? Yeah, I don't care where you want to place me. I'm going to kneel beside Lewis, and we're going to make this stand right here. And say what you will about him, but like both of those guys brought helmets that would otherwise get you hung in the kingdom. Or stoned, yeah. or killed, or have your... And we, we haven't talked about the appropriateness of F1 being in Saudi Arabia. Seb also did a women's-only race yeah. in Saudi Arabia, yeah. which is a country where if you were a woman by yourself, you couldn't drive. And, and there are still women in jail for driving yeah. from like two or three years ago, which is absolutely shameful, quite frankly. There were other drivers that did T-shirt things, though, as well, that sort of did the same thing. Mick Schumacher had a shirt uh, with his profile picture on it in the LGBTQ plus flag colors. So that was a good sort of representation, too. So they're not the only ones. Everyone has their own way of doing it. Well, and that's the argument that people are making is, yes, we're going to these places that don't have a great or any human rights record. But we're here, we're going to try to do a few things to drive some change. And it's, mm. as an F1 fan, you say, can I just take that and say, okay, yes, that's fine. And park it and watch the good racing. If there's good racing. No, there wasn't know. good racing this time. So yeah, there was, no, there was good racing. And we already said, we that. didn't see Ocon and, yeah. and, and Bottas's battle, but that was, that was apparently good. And what I will say is Verstappen's pass at the second oh. restart where he <laughs> mugged both Ocon yeah, that was and Hamilton. That was tactically yeah. lovely. I got to admit that. Yeah, that yeah. was a moment. You know what? He made some mistakes in that race, but his racing for a large part of that race was spectacular. Which tells me he's going to be a future star when he really does calm down and just leaves it all on the track. I think he's a current star, yo. I won't make that concession just yet. I still well, think that he's... Oh, what do you mean? I still think he, <laughs> I do, I, I I still think he plays like a, a good rookie, right? All kinds of raw skill, but like none of the finesse. You know, That's a comment a, that I hope that we can take. And when we do our post-race season episode and we talk about some of the issues we've talked about talking about, that needs to come up because you've just done there what you accuse me of doing with Lewis Hamilton all the time. What do you mean? Say it. What do you mean? Uh, You're hammering him. You know, he is a good race driver. He is phenomenal at his racecraft. He made a mistake. If you're telling me that's where the story has to end with Hamilton, that's where the story has to end with Verstappen. I have complimented his racecraft constantly through this season, but also feel that he also rides it over the edge constantly in a way that Hamilton did back in his early seasons, which I have always conceded that Hamilton, when he started out, and when he was in those year four or five, made all kinds of stupid moves that were ridiculous, but has grown into a far more finessed racer. And that I think that Max will grow into. But I don't think he's there yet. Oh, boy. Well, it might be appropriate to take a break here. Turn there. Oh, and another spin. Uh, but it's Nikita Mazepin. All right. So this is Mazepin, where we take a negative thing that happened in the race and you got to... Spin it positive, and the one rule is that at some point in this, you've got to say something positive about Nikita Mazepin. I don't know if I can do it, but we'll do it anyways. Oh, and we lost Gareth, so Spence, you're up to do the Gareth impression. Hey guys, I've got my socks with sandals on, and I'm uh, really having a great time here this evening. I think he didn't have anything in there, so I'm just going to have to go ahead and give you what I've got, which is 
No points for Williams yet again. It looked like they had really turned the corner a little bit midway point of the season. A couple points finishes in a row. But hey, at least Latifi finished on the lead lap. No blue flags for our guy, Nikki. That's a positive. <laughs> That's finding it. That's, That's finding it. I love it. <laughs> That's right, Spence. That's why I go to CFL <laughs> games, baby. It's all about our Canadians. <laughs> Uh, I feel uh. like sometimes I'm the only person in the world paying attention to what Nick Latifi is doing. But. <laughs> I think you really are outside of, you know, his parents, but that's okay. I mean, that's very Canadian, right? He's, he's you know like what? the most hu- humble guy on the track. It's really funny. Yeah, he is. He seems like a good guy. Like, doesn't yeah. seem like a, a prima donna, especially considering his background. And I will say every time I go to the interior of British Columbia, I pass by a big Safina Foods facility out around Abbotsford. It makes me think of him every time. That's fair. No, all right, you got to say something nice about Nikita. It wasn't his fault. Oh, all right. I like this. Go more. I don't think there's really anything he could have done coming upon Russell's car slowing that quickly. He was a passenger, man. Like I, I have no doubt he would have binned it if you'd given him a couple more laps. But as far as hitting George, I mean, bad luck for him, bad luck for George. And they all got caught up in the Checo Leclerc saga. That's all that there is. You took mine. Nikita was going to bid it anyway, so thank you, George. But all right, Gareth, you're back with us. So give us your Mazda spin for this week. Well, it's the Billionaires apostrophe Boys Club. This would be uh, Lance and Nikita and Nick Latifi. They might be at the bottom of the freaking thing all weekend, but at least they showed up. At least they showed up and they tried. So thank you, Billionaire Boys, for showing up and trying. We appreciate that. That also <laughs> applies to the stewards for our fans. At least you showed up and tried. Potentially not billionaires. But I was just re-looking at the quality, and I feel like the bottom three or four were all like the sons of billionaires who seem to be in F1. It's like, mm, do y'all really deserve to be here on basis of racing yeah. merit, not sponsorship? But eh, good for you, lads. You tried real hard. All right. Well, that does include Mazaspin, so... I'll pass it off to you, Professor. What's your Mazda spin for this week? Well, I think $2 billion spent, millions of spectating hours, 89 penalty points awarded, too many Pirelli tire blowouts to even count, 2,105.5 driver points awarded, the first 21 races of 2021 pointless, at least race 22 will be for all the marbles. Really? That's your spin? That's my spin. That's the positive. Yeah, everything's coming down to one race. Also for Phil, top songs in the world are track one, side one of the Beethoven's Fifth. <laughs> Can you get <laughs> fucking more obvious? No, 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 no I no, can't. No, I'm, but, you I'm know, with you. It's, it's crazy to think, I mean, you know what, and this has only happened, I think, once before where we're going into the final race with the two lead drivers identical on points. Right. It was sometime in the 70s, wasn't it? Was it was in the 70s. I can't remember who exactly it was. It was. I think I want to say Fittipaldi, but I might be totally wrong on that. Yeah. Yes, it was Fittipaldi and somebody else. Yeah, you um, can't write this kind of thing. Like but, Ronnie Peterson or somebody like that. Yeah, but it's only happened once before that they've gotten this far. I mean, we've had a lot of times, 30 times in the last 60 years where we've had Formula One races basically go down to the final race. But yeah. there's always one driver ahead except for this time and that time in the 70s. So it's kind of crazy to think that everything's coming down to really what can the teams make happen at Abu Dhabi. And then my positive about Mazepin, Spencer, you took it out right away from me. How dare you? Great minds think alike. 
Exactly. It wasn't his fault. And he had raced. I watched a couple of laps with him on the onboards because I am absolutely that boring this week. He had. Uh, this he week? Had... I was going to say, your wife and daughter are out of town. Same with the dog and the cat. I got to do something when they go to sleep. And the dog and the cat never do, by the way. <laughs> I'm leaving that absolutely alone. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, he was doing pretty good, really. He would have done, I think, okay. I don't think he would have binned it this time. The car wasn't fast enough to be binned, let's be honest. I mean, he's driving the spare. Wow. And God knows what the hell is Haas going to put on the track in Abu Dhabi. I mean, do they have enough spare parts to actually complete two cars and then have one driver ride it off into practice? See, this is where Twitter comes into place, right? Because it's going to be like one of the Jamaican soap cars, right? Like, hey, Doris, you did? No, man. Yeah, man. Mimazapin. I watched that movie about two months ago. Tremendous. Oh, yeah. It's so good. So good. (laughs) In case anyone listening to this is under the age of 30, that's cool runnings. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. It's awesome. And if you're my niece, you should really watch that movie because John Candy's in it. And you should learn who John Candy is. Cassandra doesn't listen to her shenanigans. She really doesn't, which is all that much more fun. (laughs) (laughs) no so i mean my mazda spin this week was hey at least it was you know msc that caused the chaos right because maz was driving slow enough that mick could cause the accident that caused all the chaos so that's that's how i'm spinning it like for god's sake could you drive any slower nikita really i get it you just want to check out the groupies in the stands but dude like just keep up to the 107 already. The whole problem with the 107 is, and I, I do the math, I look at how far he is both off Mick and everybody else. I'm like, is that 107%? Like, 107% is actually a really big margin. Yeah. Well, and back in the 90s when that was an issue, they yeah. needed that. I mean, honestly, there were teams that weren't making races footwork as a, as a prime example. There, there were a few different random Italian teams. Yeah. Anybody who had a Lamborghini engine. Oh, Coloni with their Subaru engines. Yeah, all those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were significantly out of that sort of 107. It was really funny. So, yeah, you're right. 107 is a big margin. It should honestly be tightened up. And if you're interested in the history of the sport, you go look at you know, Wikipedia about some of these super minor F1 teams that existed in the 80s and 90s. You can look at the race results. It's like DNPQ as like the little box, the chart of how they did that season, like did not pre-qualify. They weren't fast enough to do the pre-qualifying that might have gotten them into the qualifying. So, yes, that is why we need uh, the 107% or less rule. So, Randy, I have a point for you, Randy. Hit me. What is your positive spin on Mazda Spin? Well, we keep still doing this segment. That's my positive spin. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, I'm not letting you off the hook there. You got to give me a positive for the kid. Otherwise, we're just beating him up for no good reason. Well, he's still Russian, and nobody's taking that away from him yet, so I'll call that, too. Actually, they are. You see any Russian flags when you see him classified in a race result? That has literally been taken away from him because of the Russian doping in the Olympics. So, try again. So, does that mean we've got to ask him for a third one now? <laughs> Excellent. As uh, Mazepin goes for the Seychelles super license. You know what? You guys know my take on this, right? I mean... Of all the things that I bring to sort of the culture and politics of the sport, I, I think Mazepin shouldn't be there for all of the reasons. I don't really care how he is as a driver. I think he is a bad human being and should not be there. And he's done some things publicly that should not be represented in a sport at this caliber. But he's there. 
And so that's why we included the segment. With that, let's get into the last segment of Winger Wow, our impressions of the weekends. Every one of us is going to introduce three takeaways from this week's race, one driver team observation, one overall race or venue impression, one future of the sport thought, and what to look for in the next race. Phil, Winger win! So, yeah, Max make mistakes, but once again, I think he was really on. I was going with Ocon as well. He's a driver to watch for the future. He raced an incredible race. And if, if you can, go back and watch the onboards with that, because I think he did some amazing passes and held his own right down to the end. You know, I agree with you. Like, Ocon is the Grosjean we should have had, right? Like, I really think he just is a phenomenal French racer. He just brings a different style to the track, and it's really great stuff. And he's more down to earth than probably some of the other drivers that we see in Formula One. The circuit itself was interesting. I think it needs a bit of work, probably from a bit of a safety perspective. But also, there isn't really a ton of passing opportunities, to be honest. It flows more than anything. As for the season, I mean, I think we've already said it. Netflix has their season-ending drama, bringing it right down to the wire. So let's stay tuned and see what the teams do at Abu Dhabi, and whether it's either a snooze fest or a demolition derby, because, let's face it, teams don't need any of these spare parts next year. So it should be interesting to see what happens. Phil, you'd like to see, uh, throw all the rules about collisions out the window and just go for it. Why not? It's the last race of the season. Why not? I mean, come on. That means Haas could just go out to like an Abu Dhabi junkyard, buy a couple of broken land cruisers, do them up and race them. They may have a car on the grid though. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's Formula One sponsored by Death Race circa 2012. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was like a Vin Diesel movie back in those days. I don't know if I think you're right, but still. Death Race 2001, I think it was called, stars David Carradine. It's from the 70s. Yeah. And it's a 70s grindhouse movie where they're racing across America. And I've seen it a couple times, but there's scenes where, oh, here's the old folks home. They're pushing some of the older people out onto the track. There'll be extra points if they take some of these people out. I, I recommend going and watching Death Race. It's just, it's a horrible grindhouse film. So it was like Squid Game of the Day, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, with a bunch of fiberglass-bodied VW kit cars that they overlaid like Formula One sounds on. Well, uh, you know, I'll watch anything with the VW on it, so that's that's good. <laughs> I'm handing this one over to Spence for this one. <laughs> My first point was that Ocon is nails. Uh, he's driven really well under the pressure this year. A lot of luck to be up where he was, like fighting for the podium this week with the red flag. But I think that he's going to be someone to watch. And I'm looking forward to him being a much bigger factor next year when Alpine takes the next step. I think they're going to be head of the midfield next year. That's my call. Yeah. Second thing about the venue, I think we're going to have to renegotiate the cost cap if we're going to come back here, which I think we're currently scheduled to. I mean, my God, a lot of expensive carbon fiber bits and bobs in the track this time. It's uh, got to be an expensive race for these teams. In particular, our friends at Haas, like, dear God, they've got two complete rebuilds to do. Yeah, well, I love this point, Spence, right? Because when we go back to Jeddah next year, it's not like we're waiting till the end of the year. We're going back to Jeddah. Like second race. Like second race. Like it's, it's early. So like they're not taking the track apart, basically. 
Yeah, so all of a sudden, all of this carnage, and I used carnage in a post that we did on this board, but it was like, all of that carnage all of a sudden happens in the second race, and you're like, oh, what the hell? Like, okay, all right, let's see how engines do and how bodies do and such. Yeah, I mean, look, and we saw that this year, right? The second race this year was Emilia-Romagna, and Mercedes and Williams had big bills coming out of that race Yeah, that they had to pay, right? Now, Williams probably not operating anywhere near the cap, like they're okay. But for a team like Mercedes, like that was meaningful, I'm sure. So, you know, you're going to have teams put back in that situation again next year, I would think. And the more of these things you put on the calendar, the Saudi Arabia's, the Baku, the Monaco's, like the more that cost cap is going to look closer and closer all the time. I appreciate you pronouncing Monaco right. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> Finally, we've got the, the constructors' championship. I think even Red Bull will tell you, look, like barring like a double DNF from Mercedes, like we're out, we're going to lose this thing. So I want everyone to be on the lookout for Valbot and Checo shaped missiles coming around the corners at Yas Marina next week. You're saying is Hungary was just a warm up for Valbot? Yeah, it could be. It could be. Bowling with Valbot all over again in the turn one. We'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> I, I love that theme for the last race of the season. Bowling for Valbot. Wow. No, that's good. That's good. That's good. I like that. You got all of it in all four points. Gareth? Ah, so the driver we've talked about, Esteban Ocon. Fantastic. Don't need to say anything else. The track. It's dangerous track. We've touched on that a bit. It seems, and this is some of the drivers, the commentators, the F2 race where a couple drivers went to the hospital, it's not a safe track in terms of people being able to see what's going on ahead or know that something's going on ahead and avoid it. I think they need to do some work just to make it literally safer for the drivers, especially the rear end collisions that we saw like Russell and Mazepin and then in the F2 start for the feature race. So hopefully they can get that squared away because it's not good in addition to like the cost, but it's not safe. Future of the sport, I think F1, the business side, as well as the FIA need to look kind of inside themselves, see how they're operating and figure out how they want to present both the regulatory side of the sport as well as the promotional side of the sport to the world. Yeah, Because the regulatory side fell down quite a bit this weekend, both at the race director level as well as the stewarding level. And then... You know, the folks in charge of the TV need to figure out what the F they're doing and present us a better. They get to control the narrative. Give us a better narrative. There's a better narrative there. It's not like one narrative is more real than the other. You can give us a better show if you show some different racing and some different radio. Yeah, maybe actually hire people that actually understand the word narrative. Oh, well, maybe they already have. And that's why we have what we have. Yeah. Well, maybe they're pandering to the 11 year olds and not even the smart 11 year olds. There's a quote from Studio 60. Had a boy! Had a boy! <laughs> nice! <laughs> and I guess my final thought, we've touched on it. It seems like in the drivers and constructors, almost everything's decided except one and two in the drivers. The constructors seems to have kind of played out. You can see where everybody fell, but everything to play for for one and two. And I think we're hopefully going to see a great race. Let's not have it decided by the friggin' stewards. And I've got kind of one more point to hit. It is. It's our bonus. It's our silly season, but it's not silly season. Mercedes-Benz had a sponsor. They're called Kingspan. They make industrial products, insulation. They make exterior cladding for buildings, so kind of metal panels filled with foam. 
and they were on the car in Saudi Arabia. Kingspan is a company that was implicated in the Grenfell Tower fire in the UK, where a bunch of people who are predominantly working class immigrants, very low socioeconomic status, basically burned to death because the outside of the building caught on fire. And Kingspan, some of their panels were used and those panels caught on fire because they're very flammable. And Mercedes-Benz decided to take money from them, put their name on the car. They got massive political blowback in the UK for this because there's still an inquiry ongoing and a bunch of, let's call them, advocacy groups for the survivors of the Grenfell Tower fire. And Mercedes announced today that they dropped Kingspan as a sponsor, but it's a completely tone-deaf move from them to take somebody who is just so implicated in something that went so horribly wrong and say, yeah, we're going to let them put our name on the car and, okay, we'll meet with these people to better understand the issues. Formula One's an elite sport. Formula One runs on money. Formula One is not a diverse sport. And it just reinforced everything about that. And it was tone deaf, which is even a word we're not supposed to use anymore. It was a very poorly thought out move that really belies that it's all about the money for some people. It was a cash is king moment. And I think you're right. I mean, I think tone deaf is exactly right here. There is a what you would call in Canada, like a federal inquiry going on about what happened there. And Kingspan says, well, we didn't know our stuff was on there, blah, blah, blah. They just use some of our spare parts. But it was not the moment to take somebody who's that controversial and just say, yeah, we're just going to throw them on the car because they gave us money. And somebody gave them money to put a potentially you know, deadly or defective product on a building. So really dumb. And then what Toto Wolf kind of went out and said about it was, again, insensitive, dumb, and didn't need to happen. Makes the sport look even dumber than it already is some days. I don't think it makes it look dumber. It makes it look more out of touch. And frankly, it is, right? Like, I will say this. You guys know my politics on this stuff. But I'm like, it is way out of touch for some of that mm-hmm. stuff. And frankly, it was like, for God's sake, really. But yeah, the Grenfield thing was shitty. There's no other word to say. Like, Merck, yeah, fucked up on this. So I will say, you know, my three would you win this week? Holy hell, Charles. Because fuck, Ferrari had a car that could have been great and did not. This track, my second observation is that this track is like a bobby pin. And I said it earlier at the beginning, it was like Monaco with actual danger. Like, what the Where? hell? Like, oh, sorry, Monaco. It's like Monaco with actual danger. Thank you for clarifying for me. I wasn't sure what you were talking about there. No, I appreciate that. You know what? Here's where this is me earning a smile from Phil. But frankly, Netflix may have been the worst thing to happen to F1. I love that it got us through the pandemic, but frankly, it has become an absolute monster. And all right, go ahead, say, Phil. Let me say this. No, no, no. I, I don't think it's Netflix is the worst thing that's happened to F1. I, I think actually it's a good thing because it's actually brought out an interest in the sport that is bigger than it used to be. I just feel like what we're getting is influenced by that. And that's the problem. I, I think having Netflix and having Drive to Survive, I think that's absolutely awesome for the sport. Maybe to sum it up, Phil, like your point is the sport should influence drive to survive and drive the narrative. Yes. Drive to survive should not drive the narrative of the sport. Exactly. I'm going to be intrigued. I'll tell you this. I'm going to be intrigued to see what comes out of this in well March or April, whenever they actually launch it. When the third season is, is it third season now? Fourth. Fourth, Fourth. season. Oh my God. I think I've missed a season somewhere. Then. Which is due in February, by the way. Holy cow. The editing crew is busy. 
or maybe got it already done. Uh, I, I jest. But no, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they present what has been one of the silliest F1 seasons I can remember. Well, but this is my point, right? It's like, to me, it comes down to, and I'll go back to another Aaron Sorkin moment, Gareth, is the problem is that ultimately, all of a sudden, it comes down to getting page views and getting clicks and things like that. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine if you're writing a movie, but when you're writing a documentary, just let the thing play out and tape whatever you can. But... It's the panopticon effect, right? The act of being watched changes how you behave. And the behaviors that we see are behaviors that are not great. And I'm not just talking about Red Bull. And I think I've said stuff. I'm talking about Merck. I'm talking about others. I'm talking about like, holy shit. Back in the day, you didn't get to watch the sausage get made. And to me, that was a little bit more enjoyable. Like I... I had to wonder. There was some mystery. There was some things there that I didn't know. And yes, I agree. Netflix brings a whole new audience, but I don't know that that audience appreciates the sport as much as they appreciate the drama. And I think you need to separate the two. And I say this about basketball. I say this about hockey. I say it about baseball. I say about every sport I watch, except for the CFL, because nobody watches the CFL. Please sponsor us, CFL. But CFL doesn't have any money. And you guys know me, right? Like you slap a uniform on somebody, you make them chase a ball, I'll watch it. Like I am a true sport fan. Like I'll move from F1 to bobsledding after this. I've already moved on. Like I've been watching bobsledding in the morning and then F1 in what Spence calls the civilized times to watch the sport. But I'm still up at 4.30 a.m. watching bobsledding. And I, I think it's great, but I don't want that Netflix effect which at one point was called the CSI effect to affect our sport. I hate it. I, I find it offensive. And that maybe that's just me, old man, shits the clouds. So, no, I, I tend to agree with you. It should be about the racing. But it's great that other folks like Spence, like some other friends of mine from literally elementary school, are still friends. I, they text and they got into it because they watch Netflix and they're enjoying the racing, but also the drama. So it's an interesting conundrum. Yeah, I'm going to say this. Like, if you have an interest, and like, I am, like, we've said this before. I've disclosed this before. Like, I was an F1 fan when I was a kid. And then I was away from it for probably the better part of 20, 25 years, right? Didn't follow it at all. In the pandemic, I found Drive to Survive and got kind of rehooked on it again. I think if you're interested in the long-term viability of this sport, then you have to adapt and the same old, same old is not going to cut it. I mean, another sport that I watch, which is having this very reckoning right now is golf, right? And golf golf, sport. We can have that debate another time, but it's certainly a TV product, right? Which is on TV and purists love the golf coverage as it is. But you know what? The audience is whiter and older and not as engaged as it used to be. And things have to be done to change it. And what the PGA Tour is doing right now, it's negotiating for a very own drive to survive of their own. Because that's how they see being able to get more people in, get people kind of invested in who these personalities are. And it's how they think they're going to be able to grow the game and and kind of get additional eyeballs. So, I mean, I think you need to look at it as a bit of a necessary evil in this day and age. It may not be in its purest form anymore, or at least not what I watched as a kid and Phil watched as a you know middle-aged man. 
But I mean, it's it's what... going to take you for that one one day, Spence. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I love it. I love it. Embrace it, boys. Enjoy the drama. <laughs> no, but I think you can bring up a good point there. And I was a little bit facetious with my play on the MasterCard ad thing there. But if you think about it, it's a $2 billion plus sport, right? That's the cost. That's the cost that teams are required to actually... When you put it in the $145 million cost cap, that's the cost for the racetrack things. There's a cost associated to it. The spectating hours, the numbers I saw today, and this is where I did my research, I was shocked and amazed at how low they actually are. And when we're talking Sky F1, 2.4 million viewers on average per race only. So what market's that for, though? So that covers most the English-speaking Formula One race market. Okay, but that wouldn't count like U.S. numbers and Canadian numbers and Australian numbers, presumably. Even if we're getting Sky feeds, even if you so, even if you start to factor that out and exponentialize that out a little bit, we're not talking a massive number of actual views, right? So Netflix actually has a dollar figure associated with Formula One, in the sense of there's an additional revenue stream for Liberty to be able to pull this off. What I will say is Formula One, the YouTube channel. Do you want to guess how many subscribers it has without looking up? No. A 7 million. You are super close. 6.59 million. Yeah. And there are 6 million views of the race highlights from Saudi Arabia. 3.8 million views of the qualifying highlights. Yeah. And let's be honest too, right? Like I did not watch the race this weekend on cable. I watched it on F1 TV. I don't know how much of that disclosure we get terms of how those numbers are broken down. Certainly, I watched the Sky feed, but it was not on you know anything that will be measurable by Nielsen or someone exactly. else. That's fine. And I like how, Gareth, you went to YouTube to figure that out. So even if you're saying YouTube is 6 million, I mean, people like that, they're avid fans like us, right? It's not a massive audience. It bills itself as like the world's biggest televised sport other than the World Cup. I think this is something we might want to unpack. And I think we need to. I mean, I need to do a bit more research. I'll... I'll yeah, I'll, I'll confess, my research time on this was about 35 minutes before we started this tonight for this specific piece. But that's an intriguing piece I want to look at, is what is the actual fan base for Formula One? How big are we talking about? Or small? We're a very, very well-prepared podcast, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was doing another thing, honestly. No, no, no. This was a last-minute thought that came into my mind, specifically no, answering no, your Mazda's I... question. I was like, okay, how big are we talking? And that's where I started going... As with research, you go down a rabbit hole, and I did. Well, and hey, you look, you know what? Our listeners only get 60 minutes of us talking about this sport, where, like, if you watch the raw footage, we talk about this for two hours, beyond the texts that are 250 texts or so during a race week. And we are in a race week, right? This is a double header we're into right now. And so I'll say this. Look, I don't believe that Netflix was great for F1, and I'm a student of audiences. That's what I do, is look at how narratives change based on audience. I will say this, I'm feeling very unsure about FIA radio. I talked about this before. I just, like, it bothers me. Like, sometimes I need the mystery. I Sometimes, and I'll make the Christmas pun again, the fun is in the unwrapping. And... I don't need to see all that. Like, it's just like, yeah, old man. Andrew Spencer is clouds, shaking right? hands, guy. I will say this. Here is my prediction for next week is Ricardo comes through the carnage to win. <laughs> it's going to be all kinds of carnage. But Danny Rick, my boy, Danny Rick, 
He's coming through the cards to win. You know, I would I would say this. I would love to see McLaren do well. I only have one problem. Their color scheme for Abu Dhabi is being pushed oh, by a non-tobacco sponsor. It's a tobacco sponsor. It is. And nobody's called this out. I don't understand how they get away with that shit. Yeah, I have no idea. Because it's an e-cigarette and those are legal in so many ways in so many places. But they're still really dangerous and bad for you. I'm so glad that our legal expert could help us with that one. This podcast you brought by three white old men complain about graffiti. <laughs> well, could we get sponsored by Mission Winnow, the title sponsor of Scuderia Ferrari? Mission Winnow, of course, being a tobacco hey, I, I, I don't agree with that one either. But they're off for next season, by the way. I Good. would take that for the garbage that comes out of my mouth. Sure, whatever. <sighs> yeah, no, I say Ricardo through the carnage for win. That's what I say. And good times, if that's going to be my first prediction on the board. So, if you're one of the eight people that are listening to our podcast, please check us out at, at FlippinF1 on Twitter. And download the blank box that I will try to put up this week. Because I'm the only one that actually does that kind of thing. And uh, you know what? Let us know what you think. The rest of us, you can check out our boxes on Twitter this week. Because I will try to make sure they get them up. Which means, boys, you gotta fill them out. But otherwise, boys, oh my god, it's race week, and it's the very last race week of this year. I see Andrew shaking his hands, I see Gareth nodding, I see Phil just shaking his head going, ain't gonna be no thing. What am I gonna do with my next two and a half months? As the flag drops on another episode of At Flippin' F1, look, this has been the panel, Phil's here, Gareth's here, Spencer's here, we've been here with you all season. And frankly, we appreciate any of y'all who's listened to us. For the meantime, though, boys, say goodbye. Cheers, guys. Goodbye. See you in Abu Dhabi. Hey, look, if you've been listening and you've liked this, please throw us a like. Maybe throw us a couple stars. Maybe we'll just say, like, yo, Professor's awesome. You know, we're going to come back next season one way or another. But this is what we say from the gang at Flippin' F1. Good night. Good night.